Welcome to Books, Stories, People, with me, Nancy Richards. In March 2020, Rachel Anser celebrated her third rebirthday. When she was just eight, back in 2017, she received a bone marrow transplant that gave her a second chance of a new life. Well, she and her parents, Jonathan and Jean, owe this to, amongst others, the South African Bone Marrow Registry, the Red Cross Children's Hospital and their doctors, but mostly to the donor who provided the perfect bone marrow match. I went to visit Rachel and her dad, writer and author Jonathan, to hear all about Rachel's Second Chance, the book, their book, the book that they wrote to share the experience for others who one day may find themselves in the same situation. Hi, my name is Rachel. I had a bone marrow transplant when I was very young. and. <laughs> okay, so Rachel, you had a bone marrow transplant when you were very young. You're still quite young, but what is bone marrow? Um, bone marrow is basically your bone. Uh, and your bone marrow that you had originally was not working properly. Can, can you explain that? I'm not actually too sure how to explain it, but... But you've got nice new bone marrow now, and you look very well. How do you feel? I feel much better now that I don't, I'm not tired and sick and... And I think you have a very special person to be... I think there are many people that you have to be thankful for, but somebody in particular who donated her bone marrow, who is she? Um, her name is Magda. She lives in Poland. It's just so far away. It's kind of crazy how it just came out <laughs> Did it take a long time before you got Magda? Yeah, it did take a long time. I think it took about a year. And more importantly, well, I mean as importantly, is that you've now put together a book. Yeah. Whose idea was putting together the book? Uh, my dad's idea was actually putting together the book, but I think we wanted to make it for the bone marrow registry to um, get people to sign up and donate for them, for other people who need blood and stem cells. Just reading the book, I think that you met quite a few other children who had the similar sort of thing. Who did you meet and where did you meet them? I met a lot of other kids at the day ward when I was getting transfusions. So I'm not too sure who actually I can say. But I did meet this one girl, her name was Zika. She passed away of cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. That must have been really sad. Yeah. Rachel's Second Chance is the name of the book. Which, which bit of it did you write? I know it was a sort of collaborative effort, but which, did, which bit did you write? I just wrote the little story in the beginning, but my dad and my mom, I think, wrote what happened about me. Yeah. And the little story is all about you being at the hospital. Tell me the story. So the story is basically I'm here um, with my friends um, Kwako and Victor. I actually got Kwako from one of my actual friends. So we're just sitting there. I'm telling Kwako about how I'm going to get a transplant. And, yeah. And then you did get the transplant. In fact, I think your friend called it a transport. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you had to explain that it was a transplant. Mm -hmm. Can you very simply describe how you felt after the transplant? After the transplant, at first the transplant wasn't really working, so I did still feel tired and sick, but once it started working, I felt much better. I had a lot of energy and, yeah, so I felt really good. 
Good. Well, let's find out from your dad a little bit more of the backstory. So, Jonathan, just take us back to the beginning, because we're looking at a very healthy young lady now, but it wasn't always the case. When was she first diagnosed, and what was the problem? So, it, it was when she was about five years old, we noticed that she started to look very pale and translucent. Her lips were grey. She used to have absolutely no energy at all and it was a long process that we went from doctor to doctor to doctor and eventually we ended up at the Red Cross Children's Hospital. It was kind of a relief to end up there even though it was such a serious uh, ward. We were in the, the oncology hematology unit, a very specialized unit but we just felt that we were going to get some answers. But I don't think we realized how serious it was until my wife, Jean, spotted the words pure red celloplasia on one of the forms, and I then made the mistake of Googling it, which is <laughs> eventually our doctor, the most remarkable doctor, Dr. Mark Hendricks, banned me from Google. He said, just don't do it. So, so what it was is, is, is that she had a, a bone marrow failure condition. So bone marrow is the bits in your bone that make red blood cells, which transport oxygen around the body, and white blood cells, which help you to fight diseases and infections, and then, of course, platelets. And uh, uh, Rachel's bone marrow wasn't making red blood cells, so it was actually a very rare condition. Uh, so it, it was when, about she, when she was about six that they diagnosed her with this condition. They had been speaking to doctors from all over the world, in Atlanta, in Boston, in London, but it, we we were at the very right place that we needed to be, which was at the Red Cross Hospital, two three kilometers from here, and we just had this team of amazing doctors absolutely skilled physicians but also compassionate and they sort of held our hands and walked us through this process. A very long process and as Rachel was just saying there it was quite some time before you got the wonderful Magdalena who was able to donate new fresh new bone marrow but between those in those years in the interim what did you do to help her keep her going? So the only treatment at that point was transfusions. So initially, when she started to... What would happen is that she would go translucent, pale as a sheet, no energy. Her heart would just start beating like a machine gun, and we would have to take her for a red blood cell transfusion, which would last the whole... You know, it would take a whole day because it was a whole long process where they would have to take blood, do a blood count, then they would have to call for the blood do a cross-match, make sure it was the right blood that they were getting, and then the transfusion itself would take up to about five hours, and then they would check us. So we would be at the hospital the whole the whole day for this transfusion. And it was like flipping a light switch. As soon as she had the transfusion, she would go from this sort of lump on the floor to this active kid who loved monkey bars, who loved cycling, who was, you know, used to do rap battles and was just this lively, lively child. And then initially it was after about a month we would see the, the sort of the red lips disappear. But the, the intervals between transfusions started to get smaller and smaller. And at, and at some point they said she had become transfusion dependent and of course transfusions are quite dangerous there's a buildup of iron in the blood there's all sorts of possibilities so she couldn't go on like this and that's when they decided to start searching for a, a, a donor 
But um, initially they had a, a list, a long list of some very, you know, it was one of the most promising lists they had. Then they started doing in-depth testing and one by one all those people on that list disappeared and eventually they had nobody and they they didn't tell us but they had started to run out of hope of finding a donor <laughs> and we didn't know this but um, the people at the South African bone marrow registry they would go in every single morning to check the international registries to see if somebody had signed up in the middle of the night there are millions of people all over the world who, who are on, on registries the chances of finding a donor are one in a hundred thousand in South Africa at that time I'm not sure what it is now but there were about 70,000 people on the South African registry that means the chances are very low of finding a donor on the South African registry and Germany's got a very very strong registry so is German uh, so is uh, America and then one day miraculously somebody popped up and the, the people at the South African Bone Re Registry, they just, you know, we, we'll take her. And it was Magdalena in Poland who had joined the German registry. And she turned out to be a 10 out of 10 match. Wow. I would imagine that the, there was some celebrating all round, eh, Rachel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so to be a 10 out of 10 match is really quite something. But what is it that makes a person go and sign up to be a, a donor? So I, I think in Germany they've got an opt-out policy. So I think it might be from birth where everybody's automatically put onto the donor list and you're only not if you opt out. And I think that's why one of the reasons that it's got quite a... they've got millions of people on, on their registry. But I think, you know... I, I, what makes somebody, if I can speak for myself, is that I'd heard about the Sunflower Fund and the, uh, the foundation, and I'd heard stories of, 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 from people, and I'd always intended to join the, the registry because I felt it was important, and I just never did. I always thought, you know, one day I will. And then, of course, when it happens to you, I, I kind of felt so guilty that I hadn't, and I went immediately and joined the registry. And I hope that it's, it's, it's when people hear stories like Rachel and what it means, Magda gave Rachel a second chance. Which, of course, is the title of the book. But before we get onto the book and how it came about, when you think of bone marrow, I'm not quite sure what I think of, but somehow I, it feels sort of like a, some big heavy thing that you transplant into somebody's body. But in fact, it's quite a simple process. Can you just explain the process? Yes. So th th there's two processes. It's, it's either stem cells, a stem cell transplant or a bone marrow transplant, which they used to do. And that was kind of quite a sort of a, a process of, of extracting the bone marrow. But now they take stem cells, which is almost like donating blood. It's, it's a very simple process. Um, they harvest the, the stem cells and, it, and it's not painful and it's an infusion of the stem cells into the person who's receiving the, the donation. So it's actually not an invasive surgery at all. You know, I, I think um, the stem cell transplant is considered to is, is is what they do now, and I think they'll only do a bone marrow transplant if the the stem cell transplant doesn't work. But I think that the stem cell transplants are as effective. Rachel was saying there that at first it didn't quite work, weren't you? So it didn't quite work, but 
eventually it did. What, how, how long was that period of waiting? <laughs> so what happened, Rachel was in quarantine at Grotesque Hospital in their transplant unit. And um, we used to write on the wall of the unit. Jean and I were allowed into the unit. We had, we had to wear masks and we had to scrub up and we had to do all of those things, change our clothes and, and put on the, the, the scrubs. Because at that point, her, her bone marrow had been completely destroyed and she had been given this new bone marrow. It had been destroyed as a, as chemotherapy. Uh, yeah, so she had a, a which was actually kind of really, really. Uh, she might not remember it, but it, it was um, heartbreaking to see because it's 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 such a, I think a, a, a painful process. Yeah, I don't know if you if Rachel wants to if you remember the chemo. Do you remember it? I I don't remember the actual chemo, but I can remember when I shaved my head off. Uh, shaved my hair off. Um, I remember I was with my tutor, Roxanne, and so she held me through it and I shaved it all off. It just felt so horrible when I shaved it off, though. So you shaved it off or was it because it was starting to fall out? Yeah, um, we shaved it off because if I didn't shave it off, it would take longer and longer to grow back. Uh, so I just wanted to get it over with and, yeah, get my hair back. So you were a bit bald for a while, yeah. and very much unlike, and I just have to draw attention to the little chap who's sitting next to you, whose name is Fuzzbot, and Fuzzbot the bear, who is a very an enormous bear, he <laughs> features very strongly in the book, in fact he's there on the cover. Has Fuzzbot been a good friend to you through all this? He's been a great friend. Um, I remember just sleeping with him when I was a kid, yeah. And where does Fuzzbot come from? He comes from... I can't remember who actually gave them to me, but I do remember someone gave them to me, and I just, yeah, I, yeah, I never really let go of him. So he's obviously been very, it's been really wonderful to have him as a sort of comfort. What else helped you through all of this? What helped me was through everyone who just was there for me, teachers especially. Um, I was at Herzliya Constantia. Lots of those teachers helped me a lot and just people being there helped me. What about your school friends? Did they know about it? Did you, were you in contact with them? I did go to a few Zoom classes. Um, so this, this, I did go to one math class on Zoom. But yeah, I don't think I was really in contact with them that much though. But you're very much in contact now. You're back at school looking bonny and healthy. Do you feel well? How's school going? School is going really good. Um, tests are over and done with now, so it's really nice. And I've made um, a few friends, really close friends. So. And you've just had another birthday, and you call it your rebirthday. Just explain. Um, my rebirthday is when I got my my bone marrow inside um, of my of me, and it's basically that's the day I got my second chance back. So that's your second chance, and that's the title of the book, Jonathan. At what point? I mean, as a writer, you don't take on books lightly. But how did this book come about? Um, it, it was a collaboration between us and the South African Bone Marrow Registry. We've maintained a very good relationship and friendship with them, especially with Terry, who was the she's retired subsequently, but she was the deputy director, and she was the person who kind of saw, would, would would be going into the office every day to search for uh, to see if somebody had joined the registry and we decided that we wanted to tell Rachel's story for other children who were going through the process we had we didn't know 
or anything about the process. We were meeting children and parents also going through it for the first time. And we thought this would be a good resource for children but also for parents there's a bit at the back that where parents we can explain to parents some of the terms and where they can get help and and that's how it all came about so you've explained it in very simple terms i mean there's rachel's story about her buddies and she plays cards with the buddies at the hospital but as you say the parent's story at the back it's quite complicated, but you've sort of reduced it down because unless it's happened to you, it's something that people don't really know about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, I, if I think of sort of the way Jean and I handled it, we, we did it very, very differently. You know, Jean got involved with the, the other patients at the, at the hospital when they're going to the for, for transfusions, and I was very closed. I didn't want to see anybody else I was at the hospital with Rachel and I think Jean probably handled it much in a much healthier way but I I do think that it's important to reach out to people and to understand what the process is and to know that there actually are a lot of people going through it it's not an isolated event there is help that is out there in in all sorts of of ways and um, I think it is just useful to for people to know that you mentioned, I think, 70,000 donors here in South Africa, which doesn't sound like a lot for 57-odd million of us. Yeah. Do we know how many children are similarly affected? Any idea at all? I'm not sure. I don't know. I know that there are children who are on the list that are looking for donors. I'm not sure how many are actively looking. But uh, we, we met a lot of people at the hospital, a lot of children going through treatment, that was probably one of the most difficult parts of the process is to see children in various asp- in various stages of their treatment and some you know th- there were a number of children who died while we were w- while waiting for transplants once you had a transplant is that it does it need to be topped up what's the long-term <laughs> situation so, so so the idea is that the, the transplant is the cure there are things that you have to look out for. The main one is, is uh, the graft versus host disease, which is when the graft, it doesn't engraft properly or the body rejects the new graft and it starts fighting and then you might have to have a top-up. Rachel has been very, very lucky in the sense that she's had no graft versus host disease at all. It did take a while, for, as I mentioned, for the her bone marrow to get with the program and that that was also they had scheduled a second transplant and I think they wanted to do it in two weeks because none of the lines not the red blood cells the white blood cells or the platelets were actually (laughs) working and suddenly her bone marrow did get with the program and since then she's been very closely monitored by Dr. Mark initially I think he saw her three times a week and then twice a week and now it's about sort of every six months uh, where she goes and the last time she went she didn't have a blood test I think it was the first time in about seven years that she didn't have a blood test then um, he looked at her and he said, "I can tell from your lips and your and the, your pink cheeks that your blood levels are normal." <laughs> wow, that's really quite something. So, what about the lovely Magdalena? Have you been in touch? Is there, is there a chance? Well, let's find out from Rachel. So, would you like to meet her? Or what, have you written her a letter? I think my mom did write her letter through the donor. What's it called? Um, bone, marrow. bone marrow registry. 
and um, she found us on Facebook using that same letter and I think my parents have been in communication with her a lot and I do want to meet her someday. I'm sure you will and I'm sure she'll be very proud to meet you with your pink cheeks and your twinkly eyes. And Jonathan, what do you feel about Magdalena and her involvement? I feel very emotional when I think of her because I think if it, you know, I dare not think what would have happened if it hadn't been for her. So I do get very emotional because she played such an important role in Rachel's journey to recovery. She did track us down, so she's a very good detective, a social media detective. We had written a letter to her, which the Bone Marrow Registry had sent, and then she knew that because it had come from the South African Bone Marrow Registry, she knew it was a little girl in South Africa, and then she went onto the Bone Marrow Registry, and Jean had written a note to the Bone Marrow Registry thanking them for playing a role in in helping Rachel. And then she, we had also, during this process, we had decided that we would have a Facebook page for Rachel called Rachel's Circle of Love. And it was an opportunity for, for our, to let our friends know what was going on without having to sort of be in constant communication, but but every now and again just to, to let people know what was going on. And then she found Rachel's Circle of Love and she she made contact and she's yeah you know she, she's told us her story about why she joined the registry which and, uh, and what was that story? <laughs> what had happened it, it was by chance uh, a friend of hers she was meeting a friend of hers for for coffee and the friend after their coffee had decided or had planned to go off and join the registry because her friend's niece had had leukemia and had a, had a transplant and she felt you know because of her niece she wanted to, to join the registry and uh, Magdalene had gone along and she thought what happens if there's somebody who needs my bone marrow and she there and then she joined the registry and there was somebody who needed a bone marrow desperately is it otherwise done anonymously? It is anonymous. We wouldn't have found out. Uh, they have protocols. So uh, different registries have different protocols. I think South Africa might be three years. Poland or Germany might be two years. And then they do put you in touch. So, so the donor and the, the person who's had the transplant can choose whether they want to be in touch. And they can, it's sort of like an adoption. They go through the, the agency and they, they make contact. We, we definitely are going to go to Poland at some point. There's no question we're going to go and we're going to meet Magdalena. Wow. Are you going to take a copy of the book? We've, I've sent her a copy of the book, yeah. <laughs> it's been such a journey and it's wonderful that you have the book at the end of it. So, Rachel, I think we have to have last words from you. Now that you've um, got your first book with a little help from your parents, will you be writing any more books? What do you think? I do hope I write more books. Writing books is just fun and I feel like I can actually, I don't know, I just feel like I can express myself by writing books. Thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. It was so much fun. Thank you.